Welcome to Pro Se, Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson. Hey, guys. Guys, um, you know, we say this a lot in the show that there's a lot going on. Um, I think there's just a lot going on for the nation. News persists. More on Pro Se. Amazing. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. so everybody's been talking about the Mueller report uh, coming out, or at least going to... uh, the, the Cliff Notes came out. The a letter, Cliff Notes, that's A letter right. harkening back to my yeah, to, to my high school English class, yeah. pretending to have read the Mueller report. I feel like that's been um, very well covered by the time our listeners are going to hear our show. Yep. So we're not really going to talk about that much today because we have a lot of other things to get into. We also have nothing because there, there's no report. There, right. there are that's conclusions right. and uh, as far yeah. as a legal analysis goes, I mean, I'm sure we'll cover it when we know more, but we'll get around to it. Yep. Noted loud lawyer. Michael Avenatti. Yeah, he got into news. it again. He's yeah. back up to. He's allegedly back up to no good. You got to think. You got to think the attorneys out there are not not thrilled about the way that the way that lawyers come across. If Michael Avenatti is the way that you know people like the, in the main just general public, seeing, yeah, right, yeah, it's, rough rough couple of months here for lawyer for yeah. the legal. Did some light extortion yeah. allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. Um, but we were we were talking about it. it's interesting. Like obviously, what he did was you know he said to Nike, "I'm going to release all this stuff about you if you don't pay me off." Uh, allegedly and thank you but we were i mean we were talking about how it's there's a certain amount of in any sort of cease and desist situation there's a certain amount of implicit extortion where yeah you're like, i mean lawyers wouldn't it suck would if say, i wouldn't it suck if i sued you i mean yeah. lawyers would say that's not ex, you know any form of extortion but there is pressure there so where that line is right exactly is that's my that's my point that they are both they are both the, the there is the, there is implication in both situations sure. when that implication steps over into extortion is I think not a, I think it's a little murkier than than yeah well uh, I think Avenatti's about to find out where the line is perhaps. <laughs> that's right we're uh, gonna see it all then, play out yeah right um and we should say uh where you can hear the three of us batting this around we have no guest today this is another no guest on pro se just the three of us talking about um just some the three of us <laughs> you and I and that I was great. Uh, you and you and I. Uh, and so we're going to just, just sort of go around, Amber. Uh, yeah. There's sort of been some interesting litigation about uh, I have the, the first one, law. sure, to talk about. Um, so the Trump administration this week changed tactics in this really big case challenging the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. And the DOJ told the Fifth Circuit, where the, the case is now, that it supports a lower court ruling that invalidated the entire thing, the whole ACA. Right. Um, this has sort of raised a lot of eyebrows, as you can imagine. They had sort of... Partially said they they had opposed like the pre-existing condition part yeah, of the law. That, so that, 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 that so we'll get down. into yeah. that. But I think the first thing for me, I mean, even when I saw that headline and saw yeah. Jeff Overly, who's our um, health reporter, covering it. Jeff accounts like, for about seventy-five percent of the content today. Just he does, FYI. yeah, a lot of good stories. <laughs> We're gonna be name-checking him a lot. Um, so even when I saw the headline, I was like, uh, "What's up with the ACA again?" Because I feel like between all yes. of the times Congress has tried to nix that law, and then and there were various rulings. lawsuits yeah. and court also, rulings, it made it to the Supreme Court, and now it just we're feels in another of tranche. another of another era. It does, and and so it's hard to sort of keep track with what's going on. So just a little reset about yeah, what this one is. Um, this lawsuit was brought by Republican-led states, and they say that the individual mandate, which that's the part that was upheld by the Supreme Court in 2012. Yeah. As a tax. Um, as a taxing power, exactly. So they say it's now unconstitutional because Congress eliminated that mandate's penalty, so the tax part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the states say that 
the mandate's a cornerstone of the ACA, so it can't be severed from the whole of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and, the thing that tells you to have this health insurance right. or else, you know. So they say because of that, the entire law has to be struck down. Mm-hmm. And um, a Texas district court agreed with that argument. They said the whole law is now invalid. So okay. that's sort of where we are. That, of course, got appealed. It's now at the Fifth Circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, and DOJ had originally said, we agree with the argument that part of the law that relating to that individual mandate mm-hmm. is now invalid. But they didn't go so far as to support this sweeping ruling until this week. Until, yeah. So, um, so how'd that go? I mean, well, it's a big escalation. So they sent a letter to the Fifth Circuit voicing this support. Mm-hmm. Um, and... They said that, um, like I said, previously they had stopped short of saying the whole law must fall because um, it just has a lot in it. It has things that are not at all related to this guarantee that uh, the part that they wanted uh, to strike down specifically was this guarantee that consumers with pre-existing conditions can buy coverage and this sort of like uniform pricing among all consumers in a given area. That's the part that all along they've said should be gone. But... Originally, the administration was okay with the rest of it standing because there's a bunch of other parts that are seemingly very unrelated. It's Mm -hmm. about drug approvals, Medicaid expansion, things like that. Well, and we covered this when the ruling came out. And if I remember correctly, the the ruling that said that the whole law has to be struck down was uh, pretty sharply criticized by legal scholars, right? That's an understatement, honestly. I mean, it has basically been like trashed by almost every group you can imagine. Um, groups representing insurers, doctors, hospitals, seniors, mm-hmm. consumers, yeah. Yeah. How, the, the House of Representatives, the Democratic-led states, they've all said that the ACA should continue to operate. So there's, you know, you have some very conservative groups that support that Texas ruling, yeah. but they're the only ones. So most people agree that it's on some shaky ground. So the DOJ is sort of hitching their horse to a strange they sort are. of a, 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 a tough position they are and and some examples of what the other side has said democratic led states said in a brief that the ruling is quote unsound in all respects yeah and a brief from the house um argued that you know just logically even if this mandate has to fall mm-hmm. that the rest of it should stay that it should be severable it's basically it's an over a thousand page law there's a lot in there so the idea yeah. of taking down the whole thing they said was just too extreme a position well if okay so if the republican-led states are are arguing that it should all be struck down and now the doj is also saying it should also be struck right. down what 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 comes next i mean who's arguing to say well, that because i remember the the an interesting analog do you remember the the obama administration refused to defend uh the defense of marriage act Correct. for a yep. while and yeah. didn't house democrats intervene to yeah, defa- so or you, house republicans, house republicans yeah. yes you have this happen sometimes at the flip of administrations yeah. we were talking a bit about this before the show and what makes this one really stand out as unusual is that the doj started with one tranche of this that they said should be struck mm-hmm, down yeah and now for we're not even sure what the reasons were that it came up now yeah, yeah. i mean but we're all of a sudden they've just decided yeah. to go even further we're and past, that's unusual we're past the normal like change in power right. therefore change in policy type of thing trump has been president for over two years now and this is sort of a, like you say a dramatic escalation it is so what can we expect next so we're at the fifth circuit still so we can expect yeah. the fifth circuit to rule on this but the thing i want to leave everybody with while we sort of wait on this there's this question and People always have it. 
just in the public, because so many people are impacted by the ACA, they worry, um, hey, is this all like not happening? Does that my insurance not count anymore? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, the administration is enforcing and carrying on with the ACA while all of this plays out. So basically, the law is continuing and we're waiting on the courts to make any potential changes to that. Uh, staying sort of in the healthcare realm, I thought it would be a good idea for us to talk about a couple of interesting developments in litigation over the opioid epidemic. Um, this is something, um, it's like a huge story that frankly, I don't think we talk enough about and maybe the whole yeah. country doesn't yeah, talk enough right. about. I don't know if you guys saw the um, the life expectancy in the United States dropped for the third year in a row, no. yeah, which is I the, uh, that. the first it's time so that's depressing. happened since like World War One or something. Bleak. The opioid crisis has a lot to do with that. Um, these cases are... Um, a little bit different, but they all kind of are generally brought against many drug, com- many of these drug companies um, who are alleged to have, you know, sort of deceptively marketed their products and underplayed their um, very addictive nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all kinds of cases going on. Uh, first up um, is a really interesting development in a multi-district litigation that's based out of the Northern District of mm-hmm. Ohio. So this is in the Cleveland area. It's about 1,600 cases in this MDL. And um, in the two Bellwether cases that are set for trial in October, um, the uh, Ohio-based uh, big law firm Baker Hostetler uh, is defending the uh, main defendant in that case is a company called Endo Pharmaceuticals. Uh, Baker Hostetler was disqualified from representing wow. uh, Endo this week, um, mere months sort of before the trial, after um, it was found that the main lead partner mm-hmm. on the case became privy to some confidential information while she was a U.S. attorney in oh, Ohio. Wow. So the, the the Bellwether case is just for the listener, right? Is yeah. is it's the case that's go- it's going to be the basis of the way that all these other cases Correct. are dealt with. It's very important. It's it's mm-hmm. the it, it means a lot for all these other, these thousands of other yeah, cases. Yes, and like I said, it's a 1,600 cases sort of awaiting to see what happens here. It's very important. The stakes are extremely high. Um, Which also makes it very, um, very dramatic that a yeah. big attorney got DQ'd off the case. So. Big deal. And that's something that whenever you read a, an opinion um, when a court DQs an attorney, or in this case, a firm, which we'll talk, an entire firm, which we'll talk about uh, in a second, it's always something they do as a, little, as a last resort. Like right. you really need to show, like this is obviously a huge step to take, and it's something that they are supposed to exercise caution about. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, just to break it down for you, the Baker Hostetler attorney in question is a woman named Carol Rendon, um, and she joined the firm in June of 2017. And prior to that, she had spent basically two full years as a U.S. attorney in northern Ohio. And while she was in that job, she was part of a state-run task force that was sort of devoted to the opioid crisis. And in that capacity, she would meet with local and municipal officials, um, including uh, people from like the Cleveland government and the Cuyahoga County government. And those are the two entities that are bringing this case. Mm -hmm. So you can see now she was sort of coordinating with them about their responses and how they were, you know, organizing their resources to respond to the opioid litigation. She is now defending a pharmaceutical company that is, you know, on the on the receiving end of these claims about the opioid uh, epidemic. Yeah, so. you hear a lot about the revolving door, but it rarely is sort of this stark. Yeah, yeah. and it was um, just very clear, like from the beginning, they had said, I mean, this could definitely be a problem if this woman is having an integral, you know, sort of part of your defense team. So, I mean, I imagine they looked into what exactly she knew from yeah, her previous um, role. What they find, and it's a little. The, the opinion is interesting to read because she. Uh, she became privy to confidential information that the court doesn't disclose, but they basically 
the uh, the court asked the DOJ to say, is it true that she came into this like non-public information that could be uh. a problem here? And the DOJ said, uh, yes, um, it, re- it related to the county and the city's sort of funding levels and staffing levels um, regarding how they would respond to the opioid litigation. This is sort of, or the opioid crisis, I right. should say. This becomes crucial because this, like that kind of information has a lot of bearing on the potential damages you yeah. could reclaim in an opioid suit. Seems like a thing that, that the attorney or Baker Hostetler itself would try to nip in the bud, that you'd have an internal Yeah, like a conflict team. check there. Right, and you would cordon this person off to avoid, well, keep going. So what- This, so- this, this, this gets into a little bit of like some- procedural rules that aren't that interesting but like they didn't think it was they didn't think that this specific they they didn't think that her working generally on the issue of opioids was the same as working on this specific case Mm, yeah so i mean that's sort of how they tried to justify it but anyway um to your point it wasn't um it wasn't enough to just get this attorney carol rendon off the case um she had basically begun working uh, on this case from the time she arrived at the firm. So the judge said, you know, there's a there, there's a thing called screening where you have to where you have to sort of try and cordon off a con- conflicted or whatever yeah. attorney. He said it's basically impossible here. She's been on the case basically from the very beginning. She is she can't divorce herself from this knowledge. So the entire uh, the entire firm off uh, the case at, you know, like I say, just a couple of months before they have to go to trial. That's a lot of. It's a lot of business to lose. You got to think the firm is doing an internal audit of how they handle the stuff like this. Going oh yeah, forward. that's like, it. Yeah, you know, how can we identify this quicker? How can we? How can we <laughs> right. make sure this doesn't happen? Again? Without a doubt. Um, uh, the second story I want to talk about, separate from this multi-district litigation in Ohio, um, a huge development in a case in Oklahoma. This was um, brought by the Oklahoma. Uh, Attorney General's office against uh, Purdue, which is the maker of OxyContin, yep. uh, which you may have heard of. And um, that case um, was definitely like the sort of mo- the, the furthest along of any of this like sort of general umbrella of opioid cases. Mm-hmm. And this week, um, Purdue agreed to pay $270 million to settle that suit um, just before they head to trial. That is a big number for one case. It is. And I mean, we don't talk often about settlements as like news items on the show because it's like, well, you know, you settled the case. You pay and the case goes away and no yeah. one admits anything. And then we kind of just we get on with our lives. But it matters here because of what I said about the fact that it is very much like the furthest along of any of these cases, sure. further along than, than this MDL we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, but depending on how you count them, there's anywhere from like two to 3,000 opioid cases of some of some regard in the works that is um, around so the country. That is so many, yeah. Uh, in, in just about every state. So if you just try and think about one company paid $270 million to settle one suit in one case. In a pretty small state. Right. And so this has really gotten the attention of a lot of people who are trying to see, like, how does this saga end? Right. I mean, I know we talk a lot sort of as a nation and just in general about how much money there is in the pharma industry, yeah. but not enough to weather 2,000 lawsuits <laughs> at a price tag of $270 right. million just, a piece. Like, yeah. That's, well, that's... and it's been reported that, that Purdue is considering bankruptcy yes. to avoid some of this exposure that's in the ether too um and that if that bankruptcy gets off the ground a lot of you know there, there are no secrets in bankruptcy as they say right. it's sort of a separate thing but yes um it's a huge deal jeff overly once again shouts to jeff um wrote a really great feature about how the industry is reacting to this um the sort of the the gold standard when all this began for the for the many plaintiffs involved this has been 
um, the tobacco settlements from mm-hmm. the 1990s, which went to about $250 billion. Wow. Right? Now, depending depending on who you talk to, it's like some people think that's still kind of a pie-in-the-sky figure because the drug companies might not be on the same kind of hook for the same kind of liability. It's a different set of facts and this whole thing. Um, but it's definitely got people talking. Um, there have been settlement talks in basically all of these cases from the beginning. Like we say, we don't, you know, opening yourself up to discovery and all these things like that. There's mm-hmm. always an incentive to settle. Um, there's no guarantee that every single one will be $270 million at least. You know, this is one sort of state uh, uh, enforcement agency that's a little bit different than trying to settle with 1,600 MDL plaintiffs. But uh, definitely, a, definitely a noteworthy development and something to keep your eye on as the uh, opioid litigation continues to unfold. Well, on a lighter note, for our third story, we're going to talk uh, about uh, beer and advertisements and I'm a Super fan. Bowl. And, yeah, I uh, love the story already. Uh, today's opening day. Go Phil's. Real excited about oh, it. Yeah, let's get some organ music, Steve. Can we get that? No, all right. We'll, he'll put it in place. Yeah, okay, it's fine. Right, yeah. um, but we're going to rewind a few, maybe six weeks ago to the uh, to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Two months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when Bud Light ran a, uh, a pretty notable ad um, that took a really... Really, really direct shot at Miller Lite and yeah. Coors Light. It was in the Dilly Dilly expanded universe. They're really, <laughs> they're really building that out into like a whole other thing. Uh, let's let's revisit it though. And that's how you brew it. Um, my king, this corn syrup was just delivered. That's not ours. We don't brew Bud Light with corn syrup. Miller Lite uses corn syrup. Let us take it to them at once. It was good. They go on an epic quest to bring the uh, the corn syrup back. I, yeah, and this and this recurred throughout the evening uh, during the very boring football game. So it was actually quite a yeah, it, it, yeah. It was a year where you were especially paying attention. Captured to the, the hive mind in, yeah. in, 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 in a um, unique way. But so uh, the probably the, the the a lot of people were laughing at this, but Miller Coors was not laughing about this. Um, yeah, they filed a false advertising lawsuit last week. Great, saying that. Um, you know the ads were they were it was it was designed to sort of trick consumers. And, Said the advertising and, was false. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Get out of uh, here. Um, uh, it's a fun one to talk about. It's obviously a fun thing to talk about these advertisements and everything else, but it's sort of a weird um, a weird look at false advertising law because we'll get into it. But you know these claims may have been true, but it may not really matter for the purposes of this lawsuit. I love that little teaser of where we're going, <laughs> yeah. but can we explain exactly what they said um, in the suit about this ad? Yeah, so they they had a release that night, and I think you'll remember that the corn syrup lobby uh, like had a had a thing that night too, saying that like it's not a secret that we use corn syrup when we're making <laughs> the beer. It's right. a it's what's called a fermentation aid. Um, you basically put it in the beer, and that's what ferments and creates the alcohol creates the carbonation yeah um uh, bud light doesn't do this but i talked to some beer experts when i was writing this story last week and it's apparently not that weird like to you know using corn sweetener of some kind as a in this role in making beer yeah um the key distinction here is that the it the corn syrup when it's used in that role in the brewing process it burns up it's 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 eaten up by the yeast, and it, as I said, it makes carbonation. It makes alcohol. It's not the, an ingredient, as we understand. Right? It's not, they made the they made it. Well, depending seem on who like, you ask, I suppose. <laughs> I think for some consumers, it would seem like it's like a soda almost, where it's just added as a a sweetener for for flavoring, not for just a process along the way, right? Yeah, and that's that's sort of the claim here that that Miller Miller says that that Bud Light 
sort of intentionally blurred that distinction that they, yeah. they wanted people to think exactly what Amber just said, that, that, that there's corn syrup put into the beer. Cause there's such a stigma there. Exactly. And, um, well, and speaking of stigma, the other sort of main claim beyond just the idea that they wanted you to think that there was corn syrup in it was that if we mention corn syrup, people will think of high fructose corn syrup, which I mean, yeah. sure. they're, they're different things. Mm-hmm. And which I didn't even really realize until you started reporting on this. I yeah. just, in my mind, it was all just When I same. saw the commercial, that's definitely what came to mind. So yeah. Well, I mean, and yeah. a big claim in the lawsuit is that uh, they think they have evidence that Anheuser-Busch market tested this and did surveys saying that exactly what you guys just said, that people don't differentiate between the two. People conflate the two and don't understand right. that there's a difference. So, yeah. And to be clear, Miller says, yes, we use corn syrup. We never use high fructose corn syrup. Okay, um, Different thing. But it sounds like so much of this is like regarding innuendo or something, because from what we had heard in the spot before it, like they had said they use corn syrup, but like they didn't actually allege, like they didn't seem to allege anything of this nefarious stuff you're talking about. Yeah, and that's sort of the that's sort of the whole the whole story here. They they never actually come out and say Anheuser Busch said that we put corn syrup in the final product. Yeah, and that's because Anheuser Busch never really said that in the ad. They yeah. were really really careful in these ads to only say stuff that was technically true. They they say it's brewed with corn syrup it's made with corn syrup it uses corn syrup all of which technically true technically true and and they never come out and say it contains it it, it it's in it it's an ingredient uh-huh yeah to be clear we brew coors light with corn syrup ah bud light brewed with no corn syrup so they're, they're, I mean? like, they're, they're like lawyer notes in this ad, which <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't even know if you didn't listen to pro so. I also yeah, right. think this is just really interesting because I know that advertising's in your beat. It's in my purview too, but I don't think I've seen a high profile thing like this where technically the ad was true, but there's still a lawsuit over it. How's that all work under the law? Yeah, like many things under the law, it's complicated. Um, Get out of here. The, uh, <laughs> it's it's really interesting. The the federal statute that um you know that bars false advertising it says that your your competitors can't say false stuff about you but that that's the part we all understand has been interpreted by the courts to mean that you c- it also prohibits statements that are quote literally true but that are nonetheless deceptive or misleading in some way because there, there is so much nuance to language that sure. you know you can you can't dog whistle your way into like a truthful you right know, it's yeah. like you can't wink 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 and say truthful things and if in a way that that still is misleading yeah um other rulings have said that something can be um can be false by necessary implication even if like the specific thing is true if it's in the context of a bigger false thing than that right. then yeah. that can be a violation of it the law fall. So, Anheuser might have been really careful in their wording. They might have, you know, they said what's true, that Miller Lite brews their beer with corn syrup. That yeah. is probably true. Um, but if Miller Coors goes into court with survey evidence and experts and everything else that shows these ads were likely to leave consumers with the impression that that what we what what Miller Coors says it did that that you know that these had high fructose corn syrup in them or that there's corn syrup in the final product, then it might not matter that that Anheuser Busch was really careful with their wording. They might still have committed false advertising. Um, Innuendo at your own risk is all I'll yeah. say. I guess they uh, Miller Coors filed this morning for a preliminary injunction. So uh, buckle up and we will uh, we'll see what happens. 
our show with something offbeat. And because we have an all-host show today, we brought in a special guest to bring a surprise offbeat to all of us today. What do you have for us, Steve? It's Steve. Hello, Produce, folks. Yeah. Producer Steve. Always nice to shuffle a couple of feet across the room and sit at the big kids' table over here. <laughs> I want to make clear also, uh, Zul, we, we plan out the show quite a bit in advance most weeks. We have no idea what Steve is going to tell us right now. And honestly, I'm pretty uncomfortable with Steve. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I don't like um, Steve having this much power. I mean, he, no. he has enough power. We have, roles. we have roles, you know? And I love how we're all bristling at this level of power for Steve, but he controls a lot of the show. I'm, can, saying, <laughs> I'm saying it's enough already. I, I mean, can edit the whole show and just make it my segment. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Suddenly this is not an offbeat anymore. It's a right. main segment of the show. Right. All right, so... Right. Uh, Break it out for us. What do you got? Look, let's get straight to the point. I want to talk about rapper Cardi B. Okay. <laughs> okay. All, it is worth having you on the show every week to do that. I have been practicing. She's from New York. You probably, do you even try to get her on the show? I, she could have come and spoke for herself. Friend no of the offense. show. I, she was a little bit busy today. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wanted to stop by. She couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes. New York native. Uh, queen of the Bronx. Yeah. Um, she has sort of become known for these like popular catchphrases i mean sure. amongst other things much like the popular. one you just did yes mm-hmm. like the one Expertly. that i just did mm-hmm. um which she has described as a cold pigeon in new york city yeah mm-hmm. oh she has this huh. word okay with uh, uh a trill of the r's on the end of it yeah so she uses that phrases a lot in songs and in public and it's in a pepsi commercial yes, right now that really like put the spotlight on it i've been watching a lot of college basketball recently and that ad play is like every two minutes yeah. so mm-hmm. that's Sort of, I, I wanted to dig into that a little bit and like see what was up with that catchphrase. And it turns out that she just tried to trademark it. Oh. oh okay, everybody pause as I turn to Bill Donahue. I say, Bill, <laughs> how, how's well, that going to go? I don't even need to be here. You guys can chop town <laughs> look, on this. This is why I'm bringing it up. I mean, I, I have my resident IP experts here. <laughs> I have my resident Cardi B experts. Tra- <laughs> thank here. you. Thank you. Well, I would stress the, 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 the trademark beat pet peeve that she's trying to register it as a trademark. The uh, the oh god, the, here we go. Jesus. Look, I mean, he's, she's I, she can't she can't just trademark it. it. You, you yes. don't get yep. you don't right, get right, right. rights by doing anything anyway. Yes, uh, Steve, keep going. Yeah. So she the the L A Times and uh, the New York Post page six were sort of all over this coverage last Friday. I guess she filed uh, applications to trademark this uh, about a month ago, but the the news came out on Friday. Um, she uh, filed the uh, filed the applications for. O K U R R R with three R's. Three that's R's. How, that's very how she specific. normally spells it. But because she's also a very savvy businesswoman, she also applied for O K U R R. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Two sure. R's. But if you want to use four R's, totally go ahead. I was going to yeah. say, I mean, this is like um, seven minute really abs wanna, here. Yeah, like, right, right, right. <laughs> just going to keep adding R's. Right. So according to page six, uh, her paperwork indicates that she wants to use the catchphrase for paper goods, namely paper cups and posters. She also plans to use the phrase on, here we go, clothing, namely T-shirts, sweatshirts, hooded sweatshirts, pants, shorts, jackets, footwear, headgear, namely hats, caps, blouses, bodysuits, dresses, jumpsuits, leggings, shirts, sweaters, and undergarments. So. Everything that could ever be. So we Nothing all about know. stripper poles right. there, well, though, I noticed. If this uh, goes through, we all know the kinds of presents to buy Steve for his birthday. <laughs> yes, I definitely want the bodysuit with the... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to do that as many I times as I possible. I feel like you reverse engineered this yeah. segment just so yeah. you could do no, the I literally over and over again. That's Which I respect. That's I mean, what happened. Yeah, That's okay. what happened. All right, good. I think that should just be our... That should be like the... the music in between segments. Yeah, it's nice. Steve doing that noise. Steve is the original Trap Selena, so that's good. (laughs) 
So yeah, I just kind of uh, wanted to bat this around for a little bit and see. I mean, I think she's going to have a pretty tough time doing that. And also it has sort of like started this debate about she didn't invent this phrase. Like, yeah. This, has, this goes back a ways. And well, we can get Bill that. and I talk about this a lot when something's in the zeitgeist. Like um, we've discussed how a bunch of people wanted to get a trademark registered for Kofefe when yeah. the president like sure. miss tweeted that made up word. Yeah. Yeah. So this happens every time there's some like thing that comes up. And oftentimes it's just people trying to jump onto a, a trend. It's not the actual like artists themselves that's yeah. made it popular. Yeah. Right. So that, that is that is the distinction here that the, it's it's something that um you see all the time. Like dozens of people try to register trademarks for these like not really understanding how it works. Like yeah. the only thing that matters here is you get trademark rights if you sell something and people associate it with you. So like in that regard, she kind of has a pretty good pretty good you know outlook here. If she's using it in a Pepsi commercial and people associate it with her, yeah. it's arguably already a trademark of right. hers. Um so it I don't know, I think she has a pretty good pretty good shot at it. Well, this is like sort of so yeah, there's a, there's been a lot of debate as I said about like where this originated from uh and Cardi B sort of came out she's sort of faced a backlash for trying to trademark this. Um, and she came out as as Cardi B does uh, a pretty profanity laced statement on Instagram Live. So <laughs> sure. I won't read Love it. Uh, uh, word for word, but she basically says that look, every time I go to a corporate meeting, everybody's coming up to me asking me if I can make the sound. I go on a TV show. Your they... Cardi B impression could use some work, by the way. But, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> go on, go on. Okay. That's terrible. Um, So yeah, every every time I go on a TV show, people Mm -hmm. are coming up to her. When she does a commercial, they're like, hey, can you do that sound at the end? So she's like, look, I... I am making this like maybe it has like it's part of her brand. Been, she's yeah, saying it's, it's part of her brand. She's elevating it, so why not uh, make I mean, some money off of it? She's just trying to make bloody moves at the trademark office. I mean, this Love is uh, this is like what the American uh, democracy is all about. This I gotta tell I you, Steve, um, if this is the kind of stuff you're gonna bring when we let you let you bring a, a blind offbeat to us. Every week. Every week we're going to do this. This is a great way to end out our show. Look, I love it. Uh, happy to keep an eye on this for you. And again, uh, thank you for having me on to do... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, great show today, guys. Thanks for being with me, Bill. See you again next week, guys. And Alex. Thanks. And special thanks to Stephen Trader. Thank you. He's so handsome. What's his name? Well, it's Steve. <laughs> so, yeah. And we also want to thank our other producer, Kelly Marcano, and Jeff Overly, who provided a lot of content for this week's show. Music for the show comes from Silent Partner and Little Glass Men, and we'd love for you to hit subscribe wherever you're listening to the show and leave us a written review. They really help other people find us. If you want to know more about anything we've talked about today, check out our website at law360.com slash podcast. Thanks, and see you again next week.